I'd like to talk this evening about the Gospels, not the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but there are four Gospels basically included in the plan of the Bible. And I'm going to talk about just one of those tonight, and that is the, the everlasting gospel, the fact that this gospel began and it's going to go right on. Then there's the gospel of the kingdom, which we can deal with at another time, and a couple of others as well, which we'll deal with later. So these messages, these good newses, go right through our Bible. And uh, I'm going through this one now, so in the event that if you see particular things, you'll think, oh yeah, it's part of the everlasting gospel, that one there. Well, this one here, that's part of the, uh, the gospel of the kingdom and so on. So I want you to open in Genesis chapter 2, please, to start. We know that in, um, in chapter 1, the word of God talks about God creating the heaven and the earth. And then in, uh, picking it up in chapter 2, we're going to read some interesting words here. Verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them stars as well and so on and on the seventh day God rested or ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made and blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made now there's a little change that happens now these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heaven. Now before it was only God. Now we get Lord God. Before it's God, which is Elohim. And now we have Lord God, which is, in our language, Jehovah God or Yahweh God. And God is the creator. And the Lord is the one who has the relationship with his creation. He is the Lord over his creation. And that's what the word means here, Jehovah. And so we go right through chapter 2 and we see this statement, the Lord God, several times. I'll just pick it up perhaps in once. Let's go over to verse 16 or maybe verse 7. Verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Verse 9, out of the ground the Lord God made to grow everything and so forth and so on. So here we have now Adam and Eve being set up in the Garden of Eden by the Lord God. Okay, let's jump to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle or more tricky, as it were, or clever than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat every tree in the garden. What do you notice there? We'll read that again. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, this is the serpent said to the woman, Yea, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. When the serpent's speaking to Eve, it's not the Lord God, not the one who's master over the creation, but it's just God, it's just the creator. So the serpent Satan acknowledges that God is the creator, but he will not acknowledge that he is Lord over his creation. And then the story goes on here how he conned Eve into believing him rather than believing in the Lord God. And this is the trick of Satan right throughout the gospel message that we are 
not to follow the Lord God or the God as master, but rather to acknowledge there's a God, but to do your own thing, which he told Adam and Eve to do. You know, well, you can't trust God, you know. You can eat of the tree of the garden, uh, in the garden, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, because God knows that in that day you'll be like God's. You'll know everything as well. So they were sucked in and fell for that. But the word of the God, God says to us, the Lord God wants to be the ruler over the lives of human beings. He's in charge of every animal, every part of creation. But to us, he has given a free will, a mind of our own. And we find that the gospel is about having us find a way to follow the will of the Lord God. All right? So I'd like you to go down to, please, um, uh, verse uh, 10. And he said, this is God said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Sorry, this is Adam's field. We've got to go back a little way. Verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? So this is after Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit of the garden of Eve, and they knew they were naked. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereby I commanded thee thou shouldst not eat? Beforehand, everything was roses. There was no problem. Now, all of a sudden, they've got this knowledge. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I did eat of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and thou shalt, of the dust uh, thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity, opposition, hostility, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel." So here we find the introduction to the gospel. That there was going to be a victory over Satan in the end. That the seed of the woman was going to bruise or destroy the head of the seed of Satan. Okay? Sorry, Satan's head. The work of Satan, the head of Satan, was going to be destroyed by the seed of the woman. Now the gospel message tells us that Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. We know that down the time we have uh, Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on, and that they were all descendants from. Noah came, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and God destroyed the area at that time, all those there. And then after the flood, Noah and his wife and the children, they took on that mantle. The descendants of Adam had been destroyed before or the, the blessed ones had been destroyed. There were still people in Australia, North America, Africa, and so on. But those people in that area had been destroyed. So God took up a new message. So in one sense, Noah was also a preacher. I want you to turn over, if you will, please, to Hebrews 11. The act of Noah was that he followed God which isn't what Adam and Eve did. 
I want you to look in Hebrews 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen as yet, moved with fear, which means respect and fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, that's the known area, and became the heir of the righteousness which is by faith. What faith did Noah show? It had not rained in that area. And the Lord said rain was going to come and there was going to be a flood. You've got to build a boat, Noah. It's got to take two of every creature, blah, 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 and so on. We know the story. Noah believed God. He was the only guy in the area that did any of the building, he and his family. The Lord says, I'm sick of the rest of them. They're not doing what they're told to do. They're doing their own thing. The gospel... The everlasting gospel was that God's in charge. The Lord wants us to believe in the Lord God. The Lord wants us to trust in him as the only judge. Satan, nobody else, no other person will be our judge. That is the gospel as we know it. The gospel, the everlasting gospel. Noah did that. Noah trusted in God. Implicitly, he'd never seen it rain. But guess what? He believed God. He built the ark. He did what he was told to do. Uh, Turn to, um, uh, where are we? Let's turn to 2 Peter. Just a couple of books further over. 2 Peter chapter 2. In verse 5, it says this, just a simple little statement. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So again, it's a type of what God says is going to happen, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man be. Right? They were eating, they were drinking, then God came and took their world away. And that's the gospel message, that the Lord is going to do that again. Not with a flood this time, but with fire, we read in the scriptures. The gospel message is to trust God. God says in his word, you know, Pastor Chad's been up here the last couple of years at least saying, it's getting close. Look at what's happening in the world. Look at what's happening. Noah was there in his day saying, I'm building this boat. A hundred years we read he was building the ark. Would have been telling all the people around, you've got to get on board the ark, you've got to get on board the ark. But they didn't. And now we read through our word of God in in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark as well that in the last days there'll be wars and rumours of wars in many places. Men's hearts failing for fear for those things that are coming upon the earth. And that the things which were happening in Noah's time that people were being disrespectful to God basically I'm summing up here we know the many things that they do these days. They'll be happening before the coming of the Son of Man. And they are happening And people still think they can create peace in the world. You have to be kidding. You have to be kidding. We thought we'd created it back in the 70s. When the moon is in the seventh house, and so on, you know. It's going to be peace on the earth. And we all went to uh, uh, San Francisco and put flowers in our hair, and apparently that was going to bring peace. And it didn't work, you know. It brought infighting and destruction and it brought drugs and it brought all sorts of ruined lives. 
And what the world's trying to do now by these peace movements that they have, they will not work while mankind is in charge. Because mankind, as Pastor Jock was saying this afternoon, in himself is of a sinful nature. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Now, Adam started that, and so it went on. The gospel message is that Christ can end all that. We read about Enoch as well. Go to the book of Jude, if you will, please. Jude in verse 4, there's only one chapter in Jude. Now, there is a, a book by Enoch, and this is part of what this says here in verse 14. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are, are, are I've got to get my head around this, there's so much going on here, all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So in other words, those that are speaking against God, Enoch was saying, the Lord's going to send 10,000 of his angels. We sing a song about that, don't we? He could have called 10,000 angels, and he's going to. And they will come and do what it says here. They will destroy the wickedness from off of the earth. Go over to First Peter chapter 2. You may recall we had read this at some time, back as we were going through First Peter. In verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. Okay? Now this is almost 2,000 years ago that John is writing this. He says it is the last time. In verse 18 of chapter 2, 1 John. It's the last time. The last time has been going since the Holy Ghost was poured out. Read on. You got it? It is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time they went out from us. This is describing our fellowship. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest. In other words, that they wanted us to know that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. And there are many around the world today who deny the Father and the Son. Antichrist. So... We're not waiting for an Antichrist to arrive. They've been around for around 2,000 years or longer. We are in the last days. It is time for us to wake up and be counted and be ready to stand up for, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to Revelation 14. So the everlasting gospel the one that's been preached since the very beginning was that the creator only 
Jehovah Elohim is to be feared and worshipped, the one who created. We'd have no other gods beside him and that he should be acknowledged as Lord or Master of all. We know that he has a covenant relationship with his creation. We have a covenant relation with him through Jesus Christ. He has a covenant relationship with us. He's going to bring a destruction upon the earth if we don't follow him. He was and is and will be the only judge and the only judge of humanity in the end. Revelation 14, we're going to start here in, mm, got to be careful for time. Verse 1, and I looked and lo, a lamb on the Mount Zion. The lamb is a symbol, symbol for Jesus Christ. And uh, with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard a voice of harpers harping with their harps. He harps on about that. Not a blues harp, it would be one of those other harps. Okay? And they sung as it wouldn't be great if they were blues harps. 144,000 playing blues harps, I don't think it's true. Okay? They sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and that no man could learn that song but the 144,000 that were redeemed from the earth. Now, this now tells us who these are. Who are these 144,000? Remember, Revelation speaks in signs and symbols. It's not necessarily 144,000 people. Read on. These are they which were not defiled with women. This is not talking about natural women, because the Bible tells us that a bishop should be the husband of one wife. So they wouldn't be able to make it, would they? <laughs> He's got a girlfriend or a wife. You wouldn't make it. Peter, the apostle, would be out of it. He had a wife. And so we go on there. So, not talking about a natural one. It's talking about the godless systems of this world. The worship of Mary is an example. There are many religious systems throughout the world which worship or idolize uh, women as gods, or women gods, goddesses. And so he's saying, these are not worship. These are not worshiping women and so on. For they are virgins, talking about the same thing here. They follow the Lord. They are married to one Christ. They, these are they which follow the Lamb with us over he goes. Who's doing that? Who's following the Lamb? Put your hand up. You're following the Lamb? This is you. All over the world, this is them. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and the Lamb. Firstfruits, how? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus died. He rose again. And we're the first fruits. When the Lord returns, we're entering a thousand years, there were more souls won then. But right now, we're the first fruits. And so we're the 144,000 there. So we're symbolized here wonderfully for us. Let's read on. In their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. God doesn't see any guile in them. As I was saying, as a wedding ceremony yesterday, when we look at our wife, we don't see any blemishes. When we look at our husband, we don't see any blemishes. When the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see blemishes because we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Right, so this is who it's talking about here, those who have been forgiven. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And it goes on about a few other angels coming in and this sort of the generation we're living in at the moment, as it were. What are we told here? There's the angel that came in with the everlasting gospel. Folks, this is talking about our day, our time. The everlasting gospel is being preached. When you go out, you're not just talking about gentle Jesus, meek and mild and have a lovely Christmas. You're talking about a plan which Almighty God has worked for the universe here on earth through Jesus Christ. Jesus was made to be the Son of the living God, perfect in all his ways, standing before the very Father. And he is the propitiation, the mercy seat for our sin as well. He was put forth as a ransom for us. This is an eternal gospel. It started 6,000 years ago, approximately, and it's still going. And it'll go on until Jesus Christ returns. So when you're told to go out and preach the gospel, don't think you're just dealing with some, yeah, yeah, preaching the gospel. It's not like that. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And that's why when Pastor Jock was talking this afternoon about repentance and baptism and so on, that's part of the gospel message, that we give up our old way of life. We've got, you've got to give it all up. And we are baptised to show the Lord we mean that. We want to bury the old way. We want to start a new one, a new life. The ability to start comes in with the power of the Holy Ghost. This is the everlasting gospel. Go to Philippians 2, please. Okay. Verse 1, if there be any, therefore any consolation in Christ, consolation, comforter, exhortation, solace, imploration, right? Consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, they're all good things. If there's anything there, Christ, fulfill you, my joy, that you may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. How important is it that we're of one mind, one accord, one purpose? Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better themselves. In this chapter... In Philippians, we read Paul is telling the people how to behave with each other because we have the everlasting gospel. How can we relate to each other? He said, don't puff yourself up and try to be Lord over things. Each esteem everyone else better than you. Esteem everyone else better than you. Younger, think the older are better. Older, think the younger are better. Same age, the other person is better. Treat the other person better than you treat yourself. Yeah? And to know that, you've got to love yourself. And then you can love them. Care for yourself. Verse 4. Look not every man on his own things. Or in other words, don't be selfish. But every man also on the things of others. Look to share. 
and to help other people. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, so we should do the same thing, and to put upon, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even to the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. When we acknowledge that, we are acknowledging that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. This is a glory to God that we acknowledge that His Son is the Lord of all things. And folks, this is the gospel message that we take out to other people. Go to chapter 3. I won't read the whole chapter, I want to read just part of it. Again, telling us how we should stay away from the things of the world. Verse 1 Finally, be, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things unto you for me indeed is not grievous, but for you it's safe. I don't mind saying the same things, but it makes you safe. Beware of dogs. Now, we're not talking about bow wow dogs. We're talking about those who have turned away from the Lord. That's what a dog is. That's what it means, symbolic. Beware of evil workers. We had a spiritual gift about this this afternoon, didn't we? People amongst us. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Those that cut down the word of God. Who's the first guy to do that? Satan. Has God said? You cheeky rabbit. Has the Lord God said is what he should have said. And so now we aren't the concision. We don't want to cut down. We have no confidence in the flesh. So that's why we don't worry about making ourselves flash and all those sorts of things. We're not trying to be you know, cleverer than we need to be to get a job done and to earn a dollar, as it were, and to look after our family. We're not looking to be super fantastic in our looks because all those things will pass away and they're rubbish. If that's where our heart is, that's where our life is going to be and we'll waste so much time. We'll waste so much time. We'll want to go to the gym rather than get out preaching the gospel. You know, where's the better reward? You make yourself look nice and muscly, but, you know, girls have a baby and see you to all the muscles. Men become a decent husband. There won't be time to go to the gym as much as you do now because you'll have a husband. You'll have a husband. That's the other thing. You have a wife to look after. And so it goes on. The things of this world are a waste of time. The things of the flesh do not persist. We are not involved in those things. Okay, I want to get over here, chapter 3. Um, uh, now, what does he write here in verse 8? Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. This is Paul the Apostle. And to count them but dung, rubbish, that I may win Christ 
and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of christ the righteousness which is of god by faith that i may know him the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death if by any means i might attain unto the resurrection of the dead not as though i had already attained either were already perfect but i follow after if that i may apprehend that for which i am also apprehended of christ that i know i may reach the goal brethren i count not myself to have apprehended or caught the prize yet but this one thing i do and this is where i want to leave it tonight because this is the gospel message we get saved and then we forget those things which are behind and we reach forth to those things which are ahead verse 14 i press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of god in jesus christ this gospel message is very different to the gospel message of the world where it's do what you like treat each other well and be a nice person the gospel message of the word of god is follow christ because he's going to lead you to the place which will make you happy in the long run there's an eternity waiting when you die that's not the end of it there's an eternity waiting we want to spend it in the right spot that comes through jesus christ and all the people said